The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. M-S-W Media. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of The Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay. Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. You waited until I was recording to tell everyone that. Nervous. Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Fraz. I'm Redacted. We have one teacher, an unexpected kind of teacher. We got a teacher that got to the big leagues of teaching. The big leagues. What? I think it's like very cool. Major League Baseball. Any hoozle. I'll let you introduce yourself. Hello. Hello. I am so happy to be here. I listen to podcasts last night at 3 a.m. when I couldn't sleep. So this is truly a dream come true. I'm Christina, Christina Costa. Welcome, Christina. She's my favorite. Thanks. Tell us a little bit about your journey. What grade did you teach before? I taught sixth and seventh grade science in a charter school. Then I went to grad school. When you're a grad student, you also start teaching. So I started teaching like intro-level psych classes, and I loved that. And then I picked up some teaching at other universities close by. And I think that's what I'm going to do when I graduate. I'm graduating this year, so I'm still a PhD student, but I'm graduating and I'm going to teach next year. Exciting. Yeah. When is it? Like, when when are you done? February, I defend my dissertation. That's when I get, like, the fancy doctor title, and I can say it's doctor to you. That's right! And then official graduations, like, in April. I love that they call it defending your dissertation. I was a research assistant for a PhD candidate, and she used to, like, literally practice and cry every single time she tried tried to run through it because she was like I just don't want to defend it like it's good like can they just read it I don't want to defend it the verbiage that's like you must come to this panel of wizards and defend why you deserve to be called doctor it is weird verbiage I feel like it's not as scary as it sounds or it's not supposed to be as scary as it sounds what's it like 
What is it? Like, what do you do? Yeah, tell us. You have a committee of four people that are evaluating your work. You give them your full dissertation 10 days before you defend it. And then I just give a 30 minute talk on my research. And then they come like, why do you think of this? Did you do this? You should do this. And then I have a month to make those revisions. It's not scary. They don't have like the X's. Like on America's Got Talent, where like they just go, we're like, no, no, <laughs> but thank you. I'm gonna write that down. I'm gonna bring like an X and a what's the other one? They just have the X's, and if you don't get X'd and you finish, then you're in. They do have a golden buzzer though. They're like, we love you. I'm gonna bring three X's and also confetti guns just to be prepared. I love. Can that. we come? Is there a cheerleader section or like yeah. a like in court where people can just come in? Can we come? Well, actually, yeah. I talked to my advisor about this yesterday. I said, like, can I bring people? And she was like, are you sure? Which made me hesitate. But another advisor is like, in Europe, it's really like a party. It's a celebration oh. where people, like community members can come see your work. So I am. I'm going to invite my students. I'm going to invite my family. Uh, Europe does everything better. Healthcare, defending your dissertation, public transit. Yeah. What can't they do? They have really good cheddar cheese and strawberries too. <laughs> want to know about snacks in Europe that they do better? Everything. But I feel like it should be a celebration. Like you work so freaking hard and, and so long. Exactly. It's so nice to hear you say that it's not as scary as it sounds. Yeah. I'm very intimidated by the idea of like any sort of research. My friend who was in her master's was like, you have people who walk you through it. Like they tell you what to do and they help you and they mentor you. Like you're not just going blind into it. And I was like, I guess that is true true like it it sounds so intimidating but they're not gonna set you up for failure so to speak exactly they're not gonna let you even get to that stage if you're not ready for it yeah i've heard of people who they're like love you so much and you're researching the research but maybe next year defend it because the research is not researched quite yet i'm curious what did you do as an ra as a research assistant oh Okay, so it was actually really, really cool. I went to Florida State and I majored in sociology, well, technically interdisciplinary social sciences with my primary concentration in sociology, but that doesn't fit on the LinkedIn header. The person that I was an RA for, she was like in the same position you are. She was teaching some classes and getting her PhD. Yep. And she came to be a guest speaker at one of my classes to talk about the research she was doing about sexuality and marriage and things of that nature. And I really liked her, so she hired me to be her RA. And it was funny because she's like very type A like I am and would not trust me to do things. And at first was giving me like fake tasks to test me. And I didn't know that for like months. And so at first all I was doing was like bullshit and picking up books from the library for her and bringing them to our office. And I love this woman. If she's listening to this, no tea, no shade. After a while, she was like, so I actually hired two RAs at the same time and didn't tell them and have been giving you guys the same fake task, but yours are better. So you're gonna be my real RA. And I was like, I have already been putting this on my resume. So she had read a ton of stuff early on in her research and like taken random notes of it, but couldn't remember like the exact book or the exact author. And it was like things that she wanted to use to defend her hypothesis. So she would like make a list of these facts that she remembered from her reading and like her random notes from years ago. And I'd have to actually find the thing that she read that she did not keep track of. And then like highlight the parts that I thought were relevant to her research and then make a citation for it and then give it to her. That is the actual worst. I kind of liked it. I know so much about marriage and infidelity now. Like if you want to know facts about why people cheat on their spouses, I know them. Oh my god. You gotta watch your people in July. July is the the cheaters month. July and December. The heat and the holidays. I got cheated on in July. 
Wow. So the July one is because things are open much later. Drinking is like higher in July, like overall. And there's more community events where people are like less clothed, I guess, is some of the like hypothesis around it. Well, there you go. I am a statistic, turns out. The other thing we were reading that's really interesting, because I said July and December, apparently in July, it's more of like a, I was drunk one night stand cheating vibe. But in December, it's more of like an affair. I hate my family. I need something to like escape mentally cheating vibe. So in teaching, it's October and March that you shouldn't quit your job because it's going to suck. December and July, you should strap in not cheat. Hold your loved ones close. What month is safe? There's no safe month. (laughs) Oh my god. Yeah, so that's what I did as a research assistant. Oh, good for you. Oh my gosh. What's your favorite like sociological or psychological concept to teach? Oh, that's a good question. And you can answer too, Redacted, because you were a sociology major. I like talking about the sociology of religion. That was always very interesting to me. That it's interesting. And like childhood development. In interest, like I like talking about social psychology. Like group norms, group think, all of that stuff, because I teach high school psych during the summer. Ooh. And they're so funny. It's sort of like a camp vibe. And they have these group dances on Thursday nights. And so the week after we had social norms, they like came back to class and were like, Christina, you would not believe how many people are conforming at these dances. That's why psych and sociology are so cool because you can immediately you learn something and then yeah. you just walk out the door and you see it everywhere. Which makes it so easy to teach. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think my favorite thing to teach in like the sociology world is city planning and facilities and the impact it has on culture. Places that are walkable and like norms around like transportation and stuff like that. And then historic redlining and like neighborhood design and like zoning laws. Like it's really interesting to me. So like to be on my little soapbox, if you know the old stereotype of like an old town where it's like the shop on the first floor and the family lives on the second second floor. Mm-hmm. If you research it, humans living that way in a city format is how we're happiest because we're shopping from our neighbors. Our neighbors are shopping from us. It's like the best mm-hmm. way to build community. But we have zoning laws that make those buildings illegal because a building either needs to be zoned residential or zoned commercial. So like kind of how our laws have made us worse. I would say that is my favorite part of sociology. That's cool. Have you found any parallels between teaching sixth graders, seventh graders, and college students? Are they in any way similar? You know what? They are similar. All of a sudden, students get to college and we're like, oh, we can now talk for an hour straight and they'll listen and like absorb all the information. So after being in the classroom and learning pedagogy of like teaching and being with that group, coming back to the college space and teaching, like professors don't learn how to teach. Like unless they're in an ed program, they're never taught how to teach. And a lot of them, truth is, don't prioritize it because they're so focused on their research. It's like a like a side task to them. (laughs) Yeah, it's like something they don't want to do. Like if they can get a grant and get bought out of teaching for the year, that is ideal. Some love teaching. I'm not like shading all professors. But it's like a pattern that you've noticed. Yeah. So just being able to like bring activities that I would do in the middle school classroom or like doing a jigsaw or like different ways of learning. College students, I think really appreciate that and are a little more engaged than just lecturing. I try really hard to steer away from lectures. Totally. What you just said resonated with me because I remember 
when I went into my education classes, it was the first time that I think I really had professors who knew how to teach. It was the first time that I had teachers who used any type of cooperative learning strategies. It does make such a huge difference. And that's something that I really love about your content because you kind of showcase how you bring that into the classroom. College is really stressful. It's a, like culture shock in a lot of ways. So having a teacher who really wants to make the content engaging and sticky and meaningful, that's really valuable. Thank you. That's so sweet. I try. I think the way we have it set up in the US is weird too. I'm sure other places have other weird things, but like just what you mentioned about how some people want to do their research and they do not want to teach other people the content. I think it's so odd that like in order to like be working for a university doing research, you kind of also are in charge of teaching people when those are really, really different skill sets and really different passions. A lot of people are amazing at both those things, but I think we also put a lot of professors in the awkward situation of like, I haven't had training. I'm not very good at this and I don't want to do it. It's weird. And it's sort of like an F you to teaching, just assuming that someone who's a really, really specialized knowledge in something can just like, oh, they can also teach because they're just smart at this one thing. Tell me a little about like, what are you researching? What's your degree in um, that you're getting your PhD in? Like, what's going on? What are you doing? My PhD is in psychology and I study teacher resilience and well-being. You were on the right podcast. Are you okay? No. no, we both left. We chose to not be resilient. But I think that the research you're doing is very important. Continue. Sorry, I interrupted because I got very excited. So what are some interesting findings that you had? I will just defend my dissertation right now. How about that? Perfect. So basically how I got into it was when I was teaching, I was telling one of my mentors from undergrad like all these experiences I was having. And she was like, really? That happens in school? I was like, yes, you wouldn't believe it. And she studied occupational well-being. She's like, you know what? You could really come and like study this. A lot of people are studying burnout and stress, but not a lot of people are studying resilience. So I was like, yeah, I could do that. So I came back and I studied it. And I really enjoyed it because I get to talk to teachers a lot. I interview teachers. I survey teachers. The teaching part of it sort of came unexpected. Like I really came for the research. And I was like, oh, wait, it is so awesome teaching undergrads because I get to talk to them for an hour and then I leave. I don't hear from their parents. I don't hear from anybody. Nobody's like looking at my lesson plans like I am just out here talking about psychology. And then like the coin flips and I'm really excited to keep teaching. In higher ed there are positions that are just teaching and that's what I want. I want to hear about your your pre-PhD program days. So your days yeah. in the charter school. How did you end up oh, there? Boy. What were your <laughs> dreams for that? Who <laughs> crushed your dreams? The charter school crushed my dreams, no. <laughs> Said by children and teachers everywhere. I did an alternative certification program. I was a neuroscience major, so since I had a lot of the science credits, that aligned with getting a secondary science certification, and that's how I ended up in Detroit, Michigan. So you taught 6th and 7th grade science, you said? Yes. How long were you in the 6th and 7th grade classroom? For two years. My second year is when I was having conversations with my advisor and she said, you know, I really want you to come research. And so I did that. And then I kept doing the high school during the summer. So that was nice. Very nice. So what made you at the end of those two years decide, yes, research is definitely the way? Did your experience teaching have any impact on that decision? Definitely. So like when you apply to PhD, you usually are applying to work with a specific person and you have 
some kind of idea of what you want to research, I really was motivated to help teachers by studying teachers and try to like fill this gap that I didn't feel like people were looking at. I don't think I have accomplished that, but I'm alive, I'm here, and I'm happy. So that's called the HA, H-A-J. That's the big accomplishment. Yeah. It's such valuable work. <laughs> A majority of the research on teachers, I would say like 95% is on teacher burnout. Yeah. It's like a huge problem. People want to talk about it. Like at this point, it's like we know why teachers leave. That's not the problem. That mm-hmm. dissertation has been defended and let's move on to the fixing part. Yes, that dissertation passed. Teacher resilience looks at like who's staying or like people who leave and come back, like people who are happy and healthy at their job. Like what's going on there? Why is that happening? And how do we create more of it? Yes. When teacher quit talk on TikTok was like a huge thing, teachers were leaving, people would come into my comment section and be like, I'm happy. Like, I've never had a problem. I'm like, well, I'm really jealous, but like, I. Good for you, Susan. Yeah, right. Probably because your admin buys you paper. I know, at the bare minimum. Last year, I was at a school that wanted to write me up because I took a post it note without signing it out. I asked the secretary if I could have a little post it pack. That's I know. And she was like, yeah, girl, take it off my desk. It's no big deal. I got chased down by like the person that oversees it. If it makes you feel better at my school, we weren't allowed to use the copy machine. And if you had to submit things for copies, you had to provide the paper with it. Oh my God. So like you'd have to submit it to the office for them to copy it. Mm. And it could be denied if they felt like (laughs) you actually don't need that because they were like, you guys do too much wear and tear on the copy machine. That's what they do with our laminator. We had to give it to a random person to laminate our stuff. I want that job. She was not the best at it. They didn't have color printing at my school, so I had to go to FedEx and like have my stuff printed in color. That was like $120 to do my alphabet. And I brought it in to be laminated and she folded the corners of it. She brought it in and was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And I had to be like, I'm twitching. It's okay. Thank you for doing that for me. And then like she left and I cried. (laughs) It's like, can we? Can I not have one fucking thing at the end of the day as a teacher? <laughs> I can't even get the satisfaction of putting my alphabet letters through a laminator. That's the basic tenets of teacher rights to get the joy from the laminator. And they took that from you. Yeah. Oh, and I love the big laminator, the commercial size laminator. I'll go to Lakeshore just to do that. So I, I'm really excited about your research. Can we read it? Thank you for asking. Nobody ever asks. I published a couple of things for the dissertation there's two studies one of them is published it's a twitter study actually the second one i'll publish after i defend it we have a published author on the podcast christina's very cool like i can't oversell enough how cool she is (laughs) well i do have a question so i saw this maybe myth on the internet that said if you write the author of the research that they'll just give it to you for free but I feel like that would be unethical let's talk about it yeah let's talk about it journals are the outlets where people publish right so journals have fees and then they sometimes charge people to read the stuff none of that money goes to the author ever it goes to the journal so like universities if you have a university login you can access journals because universities pay all the journals and the libraries to get those for free. So if you 
email the first author on a paper they will just send you the pdf i do it all the time there's also like so my twitter study i purposely publish with an open source journal so there are some journals that anybody can access you don't need a university login it's like a much more Uh ethical way of publishing but sometimes the way they get around that is sometimes they charge the authors to publish so like they get their fees from the authors instead of the readers but nobody anywhere should ever be paying to read research articles i love that you consider that. I feel like a lot of people don't know that that money doesn't go to the published authors. That's crazy to me. It's weird. It's spooky that that's illegal and I'm disturbed. But also, fun fact, if you want to access journals, some public libraries, if you get a library card, you can log in through their portal and access them. That's what I used to do when I was teaching and I wanted shit because my district didn't pay for journal access, but the public library system did. Oh, that's a good workaround. Redacted, you are such a slut for the public library system. I love it. Oh, I am The crazy thing is, is I I'm using and abusing the public library system, yet I never go. It's all digital. I don't, I've never been to their physical location. Wow. <laughs> Sometimes I call them if I need help. No, you don't. Yes, I do. Very helpful on the phone. I got a letter from my librarian. Really? Was it like, thank you for your patronage? No, we got like an email and it was like, fill out this Google form if your kid wants to receive a letter from a librarian. <laughs> and I don't have a kid, but I have me. Yeah. And I'm a, a taxpayer. Absolutely. They said like, what are your interests? And I said like, hippos and pranks. And then a librarian librarian wrote me like a handwritten letter on hippo paper and she's like I like pranks do you like the pranks where people fall or or where like the pranker gets pranked and I was like whoa I didn't know my librarians were so deep oh my gosh yeah it's beautiful letter and the hippo paper this is exactly what I want my taxes to be going to yeah exactly that is so awesome it was so cool I felt so happy and special I love librarians the more I learn the more I love you know I love the public library system it's one of our last pillars of a functioning society I have a librarian anecdote Okay. In high school, there was like some competition and I wanted to make a film project and it was called like beauty is dot dot dot. That was the prompt. So I filmed like some community members, like what it is to them. And I went to the library and I said, can I film you going like shh? Because I wanted her to say like beauty is a quiet library. And then she was like, actually no, that's a harmful stereotype against librarians. We don't always need things quiet and she wouldn't do it. <laughs> I love her. I love her for that weird time to take a stand and I'm here for it. She said, fuck your little project. You're not going to perpetrate that narrative. Pun intended. Wow. It was so scary. I just went to a different library and someone did it for me. That's hilarious. I can't believe she like deadass refused for your project instead of making it like a teaching moment and be like, let's make your little video about how the library can be fun. She was like, cut the cameras. Cut child. the cameras and get out. Oh my gosh. Christina, do you ever think you'd go back to 6th and 7th grade or is like that door, you're just like no, like I love where I am. Oh, most definitely not. But thank you for offering. <laughs> In the beginning, I missed it a lot. The first two years of grad school, I really struggled. I would go visit my school all the time. People were like, do you still work here? It was really, really hard. Yeah. And I thought about it and I wouldn't have known that I loved college teaching so much unless I had tried it. Mm-hmm. But now I don't think I'll ever go back. And now my sixth graders are college freshmen and I like have some of them in my classes. So it really just came full circle and it's like the coolest oh thing. My God. I need to hear more about this. What's it like teaching a former sixth grader that you taught as a little young baby adult? Oh my God. Spreading their wings. It's literally the best thing ever. I had a student email me and she was like, Miss Costa, there's this lady, Christina Costa, teaching intro psych. Is that you? I said, 
No, no. You're like, um, I heard she's fucking crazy. It's not me. And I heard she's terrible. Crazy. Not me. For sure not me. No, it's really, really, really cool. I love it. Oh my it. gosh. Redacted, you need to watch Christina's content after this because she's been calling her former students and asking them for assignments <laughs> and talking about like <laughs> detentions that happened years ago and things like that. You would vibe with it. My number one favorite thing to do with my students was to pull up their old elementary school records and like tease them about it in like a loving way like I'd be like <laughs> so I see we got a C in social studies in second grade what's going on there and we could see like the teacher remarks from like the kindergarten teachers and stuff so I'd be like mm, plays well with others things change <laughs> You make me want to teach high school sometimes, because that sounds so funny. It's just stand-up comedy with an audience that's government-mandated to be there. That's all it is. Well, that's kindergarten, too. I'm hilarious to them. <laughs> it is comedy. Okay, speaking of comedy, I started doing improv. <gasps> I did it just for funsies, and they try to attract and recruit a lot of people who are, like, doing public speaking things mm-hmm. or, like, interviews. And I was like, oh, this will be really good for teaching, and it's so good for teaching. Yeah. Like, when I walked in, I was like, yeah, like, I feel like teachers are really really good improvisers and if they're not they should learn how to be yes it's really improved my comedic game in the classroom my jokes are a little more you know pizzazzy I bet they're exceptional I couldn't believe that on your like professor rate your whatever they told you to tone down the hippo content because I find that offensive (laughs) you're being bullied on rate my professor those are my course evaluations oh okay students will just like call you out I'm always like do you know this is going to my boss right you know my boss gonna see this. I remember when I had people I didn't like, I'd call them out. Yeah, but they're like tattling that she's doing karaoke and karaoke's fun. Yes, we love her and like one day we said we looked depressed so we did karaoke. And I'm like, my boss doesn't need to know that. You're like, keep that fucking between us. Be like, cool. Exactly. <laughs> oh my word. <laughs> Going back to the improv thing the very foundation of improv being yes and you make students feel so seen in your classroom if you're able to just like they say something totally off the wall when they raise their hand to answer and you're like yes and also you know does anybody want to build off of what so-and-so just said it feels very affirming and warm I find that improv helps so many areas like Pixar has in-house improv classes as they're building their stories and storyboards they pull these animators and creators into a room and have them do improv. That's so cool. Yeah, and like they're obviously renowned for their realistic storytelling and like they're doing something right and it's interesting to me that that's part of their formula. Yeah. So that's my little... I think everybody should do it. I think it's such a good skill to learn. It is. And that's the other thing. You, you're you actually not supposed to try to be funny. Yeah. It's not just for people who like their friends tell them they're funny. It's like a skill that you learn and it's really fun. Yeah, something that I use all the time in content creation now is things that I learned in improv and comedy class in particular because like you said it's not funny if you think you're funny it's funny if you're being earnest and truthful because the recognition of truth is funny that's why I think like my talking to Trump like he's a kindergarten videos do well yes I was just gonna say that I record like 10 at a time but like I have to get it like the ones that do well are honest and I think kids can see through bullshit too improv in the classroom is honesty and you have such good connections with your students at least from what I can tell from what you put out in the world but you seem very loved you know I hope so 
You are. By the host of this podcast and lots of your students, probably. Oh, boy. I want to hear more about your, your research findings. Yeah. Like, has there been anything that surprised you or things that you were like, okay, teacher resiliency, did not see that coming from this area? So the Twitter study that I did, I took the hashtag arm me with. You guys remember that? Were you teaching? Or on the gram? I was on the gram. I remember that. So it was after Parkland, after Trump said, like, we need to arm teachers. And teachers were like, no. Yeah. arm me with oh. copier paper yes so i downloaded all the tweets that people used hashtag army with the week after parkland and i organized like these are the things that our teachers are saying that they need and surprisingly like a lot of them are obvious like some people are like army with pencils i need pencils army with staplers but some people were like army with a better school culture or army with more black women in education, teaching. And so I divided those into categories and I found that like, there are things that people are talking about that is just not in the literature, like feeling safe at school. Like I go to school and I feel safe. Diversity, climate, all of these things. So then I took those and then I measured them in a survey of like 2000 teachers. And I also measured their job well-being, so like job satisfaction, engagement, burnout, stress, all of those things. I mean, it's not surprising to teachers when I tell my findings to teachers they're like yeah I'm like yeah but nobody's documented it like people aren't saying it and I'm telling you I'm like telling these important people so safety was a big one like being able to link teachers feeling safe to their happiness at work and also their burnout political support so like the questions were like I feel like my state values my profession or like my governor or my president and both of those things also link to teacher well-being. So the way teachers feel that politicians feel about them is also linked to their well-being, which again, is not revolutionary, but it's not being talked about yeah. among these people studying teacher well-being. It is revolutionary for that reason, because yeah. no one's talking about it. With the politicians, I think that probably also impacts the way the community views teachers as well. Like if you're living in an area where the representative of that area is like saying demonizing things about teachers, that's going to spread to parents, community members, any stakeholders you can think of. Yeah. What you're doing is so impactful. I mean, it's the formal version of what we try to do with the podcast, you know, trying to like bring light to issues that, like you said, nobody is talking about. Sometimes I'm sitting here thinking like there has to be studies done. Like, and we've said that before, like there has to be something like, but there's really not a lot talking about like how we can keep teachers. There is. And I will say, I actually, I take back saying nobody's talking about it because like people are talking about it you guys are talking about it everyone's talking about it but there's no research behind yeah. it so i always hate when i'm writing i always have to like prove why teacher well-being matters They're like well why does it matter and i'm like because it does <laughs> Journals always want you to link it to students to say, like, teacher well-being matters because when teachers are happy, students perform better. Mm -hmm. It's like, we shouldn't have to make those links. We should be able to just say teacher well-being matters, but it's interesting that that link has to be made. Yeah, that's like the automatic default of thinking everyone goes into and like, oh, students are important, duh. But like, let's not talk about them all the time. <laughs> I do think that it is important because something that we've gotten away from is student-centeredness. And I think that that's one reason why teachers are feeling so helpless in the classroom we got into this for our students and we know that they're struggling as we struggle ourselves like 
we're kind of a canary in the coal mine a lot of times where if we're struggling, we can pretty much bet our students are struggling. It should be enough to just say teachers are struggling, teachers are unhappy. We shouldn't have to point it back to students, but it's going to crumble the future of America if we don't take care of our teachers. And Maddie Richardson said it on this episode we just released, happy, healthy teachers make happy, healthy students. I'm so excited for your research, not for the crumbling of the education system in America. We wish that you didn't have to do your research, but we're glad you are. Right. Yeah. I forgot about that arm me with hashtag. Was there any part of your research or anything you noticed in regards to how long someone had been teaching or when they entered teaching or like, did that have any impact on resiliency? No. So in my research, I collected data on how many years teachers had been in the classroom and how old they were. Also like their level of education and none of the demographics mattered, which is actually interesting. And same thing with the army with, I divided it by states because I was like, well, maybe in different states, people need different things. And it was the same finding where like, it didn't matter. Didn't matter if you were a 50 year old teacher in Maine or a 22 year old teacher in California, like everybody's stressed, everybody needs these same resources. And so it's like an uninteresting finding, but it's also interesting that like, this is a national thing. We find it everywhere, no matter how many years someone's been in the classroom and no matter who they are. I think that's validating in a lot of ways because I think a lot of people experience it that have been in the classroom for a long time. And the school that I worked at was really only veteran teachers of 20 years plus at that school and people who had been teaching less than five years. There was almost no one in between. I have had a ton of help from veteran teachers and I remember sometimes when they were stressed out and they were dealing with the same things I was, they were like, I've been doing this for 30 years. Like I should not be still getting this frustrated at testing. I shouldn't still be getting this frustrated at admin. So I think like being there doesn't necessarily make it easier. I think for some people it can even make it harder to deal with a lot of the stressors. Yeah, that's a lot of stress. What an interesting demographic of teachers though. Like what happened in the middle? that made it so those veterans stuck it out and stayed but that the newbies are leaving so it was a combination of a few factors some of it was because of pay some of them were grandfathered into a previous compensation package and then the compensation package that i was under you did not get a raise until you'd been there for 10 plus years so it's kind of like was happening a little bit by design part of it is just because the school itself had been there so long but i think the pay structure was ultimately why we had no one in the middle because mm-hmm. if you got grandfathered into this really livable pay structure like some people there were making ninety thousand dollars a year which i think is appropriate for someone who's very educated in that job and doing a great job and all the things but i knew i would never get to that point so i think that's why a lot of that middle people left well that makes sense to me it's shocking when you don't pay people they leave whoa who, who would have thunk crazy did you find that in your research <laughs> i didn't <laughs> i should have asked people their salary i am very pro pay transparency and like literally whenever my work hires someone I'm like here's how much I make an hour but I think for a lot of people it's very taboo and like a turnoff so I could see where you're conducting very like emotional research why that might kind of kill the vibe yeah but so what's exciting you in the your future endeavor of continuing to teach college students like what courses do you want to teach what's your dream what are What's your vision? I love intro psych. It is my absolute favorite. I will teach it until 
until I'm underground. I'm also excited next semester for the first time I'm teaching a seminar, like an upper level seminar on positive psychology. And that's like my background, my training. So I'm really, really excited to teach that. It's gonna be the first time teaching it. Is there any part of teaching college students that was more difficult than you expected or anything that you didn't expect that surprised you in the college teaching universe? Yes, it depends on where you're teaching. So like it varies so much, but at some schools, students are ready for college. They're freshmen. They're very motivated. They're like over motivated. You can get a class of like 20 of the most motivated kids and they have never gotten below an A in their life or they have like never had a really hard exam before. They're like making all these social adjustments at the same time that they're making academic adjustments. So college freshmen can be challenging sometimes. A lot of like anxious office hours visits or like I did this wrong or can I do this? Can I do this? Like I can totally tell when students submit papers or even send me emails. I sometimes will ask like who taught you to email? Did you have a high school teacher that taught you to email? Quick plug if you're a high school teacher I just made a lesson about how to write emails so that Thank your children you. will not Thank embarrass themselves at college. So, much. so on my it. teachers pay teachers there is a lesson on how to teach high schoolers to write a professional email oh and to God. use their university email and not type their message in the subject line. I could literally kiss you if you consented and wanted to. That is, I, I always say like sometimes one student I said like, can you record me and send this to your teacher? Because I am like so happy that they taught you this and I don't have to. But the email, that's such a good one. College freshmen, like they're like learning. So I also have like a template on my Canvas page. But I can tell when students had a good high school teacher or like formatting. People who know how to format paper, I'm like, someone taught you that. So there's just like different challenges. People call it the hidden curriculum. There's all these norms and expectations when you get to college. But the thing is, you're not often taught them, especially first generation students. Students will learn from their parents. If their parents went to college, but what about students whose parents didn't go to college? There are all these, you know, rules about like, how do I go to office hours? Should I go to office hours? Is that weird? What's appropriate? Can I ask for extensions? All those things. Even like parents guiding you on what to do and if your parents went to college it's so helpful in college but people whose parents went to college most of the parents didn't have email when they were in college so yes, even true. the people in the best of circumstance getting the best guidance might not be getting that skill i feel like going to college is like getting alien abducted and going to like a social event and not knowing any of like the cues and then everyone just kind of like looks at you funny because you're like doing everything wrong i did community college through dual enrollment the first week of school one of the professors was like every one of your classes gave you a syllabus if you threw it away, it's probably online. No one is going to remind you of any of those dates. Yeah. No one is going to tell you that that project is due. No one's going to tell you about that quiz. Nothing. And it was so helpful because I was like, oh shit, I'm used to high school where it's written on the board every day and they're going to remind you every single day of the week. Yeah. There's a lot of little adjustments like that. It's fascinating to hear about the college teaching universe because I think it's a very interesting time, especially for college freshmen, like you mentioned, because that was really yeah. one thing I was passionate about as I school teacher is like I don't want college to be the first time x y or z happens to you like I want to make sure yeah, I'm training wonderful. you and showing you so that when you get to that environment you have something to yes. reference back that's to. wonderful I also have a question yeah. we've been seeing it in elementary school middle school high school the covid effects on students are you seeing students who are coming into the university setting also like struggling post-covid or is there any difference there Ooh. they're just so excited 
excited to be in college. Like they're so excited to be back in the classrooms. I took medical leave during all online teaching, so I never had to teach online. And that was amazing. And so when I came back, they were like, we're in college. We're finally here. We're like in sitting in a lecture hall. Like this is so cool. They're just excited to be back. I really haven't noticed any like academic issues, social issues. People are just hyped. They're excited. That's so cute. That's really cute. And also not to be like the depression vibes, but you also teach at a university. So I feel like the high school kids that really suffered academically are probably not in that environment. Like, I'm wondering if we asked professors at a variety of different schools, if they would all have different answers. That is real. Christina, you've been a joy. I've loved hearing about the world that you're in and how you're literally changing the world for the better. Because I feel like the government doesn't listen to teachers, but maybe they will listen to published research. Maybe. I'm going to cite your research for everything. I'm going to be like, here's my source. Listen to me. Oh my God, please. I'm going to put it in my email signature and be like, if this email came across as rude, please see this article. You must understand. (laughs) You should. That's the other frustrating thing about research. All these people are doing all these great things and then nobody's reading it. Like the people who are reading it are just other people doing research i try to like coax people into social media i'm like you could share your research on social media like yeah. you could do this my advice are like do i need to dance on tiktok i'm like no you can like blog about it yeah. there are just different ways to disseminate what we find yeah you know totally the new requirement for college professors is to learn the savage dance you <laughs> defend your dissertation and then you have to perform the savage oh dance oh <laughs> Oh, (laughs) thank you, Christina, so much. Like, I'm so happy that we got to just sit down and talk finally. Oh my gosh, thank you, ladies. What an honor. I got an excuse to hang out with you after following you for years. So thanks for coming on our podcast. Oh my God, you're so sweet. You guys are so welcome. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Rate, review, turn the bell on. I think that's a thing on some apps. That's on Twitter. No, you can have a bell on YouTube. Oh, I didn't know that. Nobody watches us on YouTube. Let's be real. I watch us on YouTube, first of all. I watch you on YouTube. Okay, well. Sorry. Look, sorry. the researcher watches us on YouTube. The most professional person we've had on this podcast watches us on YouTube. And look at how you treat our the guests. The YouTube erasure. <laughs> okay, I, I'm sorry to my YouTube watchers. Okay, we love you. Live, laugh, love. And read Christina's research because we love her. Read Christina's research. And thank you to all the teachers out there for being resilient. The end. And the ones who are not teachers. Thank you for your service. Just as a disclaimer, because I am someone who is actively teaching, everything on this podcast is my personal opinion and does not reflect my district, my state, my employer, my students, or my admin. Everything on this podcast was recorded on personal time, on personal equipment, and is a completely separate endeavor from my school district. Yeah, leave her alone.